Welcome to Nairobi Chapel Embakasi. We grow deep to reach wide. This week we'll just continue from where we left on and we'll be looking at now the temptations Jesus went through. And I would like us just to read from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 1 to 14. Jesus, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the splendor. All this I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came to attend him. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you, my Lord and Savior. Amen. So as, as, as we see that, these are the three temptations that Jesus went through. And the question is that, were they out of the blues? Did they just, did he just think of them and came back? And I would say, no, these were well calculated questions. These were well calculated trials. And I would like us to look at the book of First John, chapter two, verse 15 to 16. First John, chapter two, verse 15 to 16, because this will give us the answer where these questions were coming from. And we see that it says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, cannot come from the Father, but from the world. And this is, these are the trials Jesus went through. And John tells us that they are not from the Father, they are from the world. And which are they? The last of the flesh, the last of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if you look at the three trials Jesus went through, they signify that. The last of the flesh, which was the first one, Satan told him, if you are really the son of God, turn 
the stones to bread. At that time, if you look, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. So obviously, the body was craving for food. He was hungry. And that's the first temptation which came, the last of the flesh. Two, we find that we have the last of the eyes. What did Satan do? Take him at the high place and show him the world and all its splendors. The last of the eyes showed him all what was there. That was the last of it. And then the third one was the pride of life. The pride of life, which in the pride of life, he, he, told, he told, Satan told, wow, my head is, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. In the pride of life, he, he told him that, throw yourself and the angels concerning you will, will, will help you and you, your foot will not strike the ground. And I believe in our journey as believers, these three tests are what we encounter each and every day of our lives. The last of our flesh, the last of our eyes, the pride of life. These same temptations are what we encounter each and every day of our lives. And this week we look at what can we learn about the tree. And when we look at the last of the, eye, of the flesh, when Satan told him, turn the stones to bread. I, 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 was, I was just thinking about it. Uh, Jesus would have said that I don't need to turn them because I'm the bread of life. <laughs> On <that> joke. <laughs> but Jesus, <laughs> I thought that would have been a good answer for him to do it. But it seems that it was true because he had done 40 days and 40 nights fasting and then he had told, yeah, turn and, and, and have bread. And I pictured myself like when we are doing a fast, the trials which come when you, you do a fast. You invite lunch. And you can start feeling the flavors in your, in your mouth. Ama you pass by and you find that that day KFC, Ama Domino's have done a, a good offer for, that, for what you like. And that's how it goes. Like, the devil knows where we are. He knows our desires of the, of the, of the flesh. And that's when he strikes. And this was the exact thing that Jesus went through after 40 days and 40 nights. And what, when you say the last of the flesh, what do we mean by the last of the flesh? The last of the flesh means our bodily desires, what our bodies desires. And in Galatians 5, 16 to 21, Galatians 5, 16 to 21, we see that the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the body. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, 
fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, fractions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So these are the last of the flesh. And I believe the last of the flesh is what puts us in conflict between my will and God's will. The flesh goes for my will, what I desire, what I want. And God's will, what the Spirit does. So Satan knew that in this time, obviously, the flesh would be craving for that. For, for the bread. But Jesus stood firm and said that it's not just by the physical bread, but what comes from the Lord's mouth. And I be, believe that the last of the flesh usually tests our self-control. The last of the flesh usually tests our self-control. And that's one of the fruits, fruit, the fruit, fruit of the spirit John was talking about. It's one of the fruit. It tests our self-control. And a book I was reading by one Bill Johnson says that it's usually, it's not a golden opportunity if that opportunity risks your integrity. At any given time, when you feel an opportunity is a golden opportunity, just check if it compromises your integrity. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands and you will deal with them as you wish. These are the words David's men were telling David when Saul came into the cave they were hiding in. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said that I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with them as you wish. This was a golden opportunity for David because Saul was the one who was making his life miserable. And I would ask you, if you and me come to that place, this is the one person who's been making your life miserable, Namedileta in a good situation, what will you do? This, maybe it's, a, it's someone at the workplace who's just been on your case, making your life miserable. Namekuja to just the right position. What will he do? And this was the question David found. Because you remember that Saul was the one who was making him run away. And David had already been anointed to be the, the king. Now Saul akitoka, yendo anaingia. So it was an opportunity. I can shorten this process, finish this guy, and assume the, the kingship of Israel. And it would, it would make sense. And he would come and say that one of the things, I was doing self-defense. He, he could rationalize that and everyone could see. He could even, as, as the leader, he could tell, he could tell his, his servants, yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, he could tell his, his servants like, "You can deal with this guy." And then we take we take that. But what did David do? He said he remembered God's word, which was, 
Do not lay your hand on the anointed. Do not lay your hand on the anointed. And that's what comes with the last of the flesh. It will test you. It will give you opportunities which will seem to be of the Lord. And this, I don't know if we believe, we've been able to experience this. Sometimes when we are broke, and you have something to pay. And then out of nowhere, a friend comes with a suspicious deal. And it matches the amount you want. And most times we are, we are told between, you know, we can rationalize and say, <laughs> it's true. But you find that this deal will compromise your integrity. And that's what the last of the, of the flesh does. It puts you to the test between your will and God's will. And this is what we saw in David. He could have gone with his, his will and killed Saul. Or gone with God's will and spared his life. And I believe when we stand for what the will of God is. Even the people around us will be surprised because everyone won't expect you to go that way. And we can see even Saul himself got surprised with what David did. When we look at First Samuel 24, 19, and he said, when a man finds his enemy, does he let him go away unharmed? Because he was looking at it on the humanly perspective, on the fleshly perspective. When I find my enemy, do I let him go and harm? But you find that in God's will, we don't take revenge on our side. David knows that in God's will, we don't take revenge. Revenge belongs to the Lord. What we do, we love our enemies. We do good to those who hate us. And that's the will of God. When the world craves for us to, to revenge, God tells us, let me do it for you. When the world craves for us to revenge, the Lord tells us, love your enemies. Do good to those who lend you. And you find that that's where we atone between God's will and our will. And we say that in, the, in this journey of believers, the last of the flesh will be there each and every day. And even Jesus was warning his disciples at the Garden of Gethsemane and said, watch and pray so that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And as we've read in First John, there'll always be, there'll always be that conflict. Your will and God's will. There'll always be that conflict in your journey of a believer. Of, of God's spirit in, in you or the last of the flesh. And it's for us to be careful on which side are we going to. Will it go by our own will? Or will we rely on the will of the Lord? Like David did. Yeah? And we see that Paul 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 to 27. He teaches us how to deal with our weak flesh. Because it's there with us, how do we then deal with our weak flesh? And it says, therefore, do not run like someone running away endlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beat in the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and to make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. And the question comes, who is in control of you? Who is the boss? Is it your body? Or are you the boss? And in, in your body we mean, are your feelings, are your emotions, are your moods, are your thoughts the boss? Or are you the boss? Do you let the body rule over you or do you rule over the body? And this season, it's been a learning experience for me, and I would say that I am learning to take control of my body. I want to, I'm, I'm learning to be the boss of my body, and not the, bo and not the body being the boss. And this, I, uh, I say, thank goods to the mask. If you've noticed, I usually, because what the mask has helped me with, I can be talking to myself and no one knows. <laughs> so how I've been, I've been doing this is that I've just been doing self-talk. So sometimes where your thoughts are going, they are not a good place. Just come back. So I've been so intentional in how I thought and what I feel because I know at any given time, I may sway and start going my body's way, but I'm saying, who is in control? Is your body the one who is, which is controlling you on what you do? Or are you the one who is controlling the body? And we find that in Romans 8, chapter 12 to 14, Romans 8, 12 to 14, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to like according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you put but if by spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And this is not just the physical death we are talking about, but your spiritual death. So if you, you, you live according to the flesh, what the flesh desires, what the flesh brings in your way, then it says you'll die, the spiritual death. But if you put, by spirit put the, to death the misdeeds of your body, you being the boss of your body, then you live because you are in control. So today I would ask, as we do 
the last of the flesh who is in control and he look I deal with you Nasira or do you get to a place like yeah you've hurt me but I forgive you and let you go and that's what it calls to be a believer to be in control of your spirit of your body sorry then we see that we have the last of the eyes the last of the eyes and this we find it in matthew 4 8 to 10. again the devil took him to a high place high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor all this i give you he said if you bow down and worship me jesus said away from me satan for it is written worship the lord your god and serve him only this house uh in just my wild thought i was thinking satan wants to give him all uh, the kingdoms of the world and the splendor and this is the son of the father so you know <laughs> just that but we find that the last of the eyes represents sinful desires to possess what we see the last of the eyes is more visual it's visual the things of visual appeal and people, some people are calling it coveting the physical things which are money possession. Where we, and these times we've, we've been doing that Instagram to Nonamtuko holiday and we to Nanzaku manifest, claim, even go. This is what, but it's just, it's the last of our eyes, the last of our eyes. And I was wondering why the eyes. Why is it the eyes? And we see that in Luke 11.34. Luke 11.34, we are told that your eye is the lamp of your body. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your, body, when your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness so why the last of the eyes because the eyes are the gateway to our heart the eyes are the gateway to our heart and if you look in proverbs you're told that the heart is where all things of life flow to from so the eyes are what connects us to the heart the eyes we are told, are the lamp to our body. So whatever we see, put our eyes on, it either gives light to our body or bring darkness to our body. And that's the last of the eyes. And this we see that Satan showed Jesus, eh, Angalia, Angalia, the kingdoms. And I think maybe Takwakama Osiku, like when you... You are flying, coming down, and you see Nairobi, the lights, it looks beautiful from up with the lights. So I think, all this, I'll give it to you. What Satan was trying to do was just to get 
to Jesus' eyes, to get to Jesus' heart through the eyes because he showed him, look at what, what I'll give you to. And you find this is the same trick Satan used in the Garden of Eden with Eve. In the Garden of Eden, he showed Eve the fruit. And if you read, let me read what, what Eve saw when he looked at the fruit. In Genesis 3, 6, when the, Eve, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, when, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye, and was also desirable for grain in wisdom. She took and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So what did Satan do? Presented the fruit, Eve looked at it, and so it was pleasing in the eye. That's what the last of the, of the, of the eyes do. You, you see it and you crave you see it and you crave. And this is interesting because as men, we usually say that we are visual beings. We need optical nourishment. But what does it show if we go with that? If we go with that saying that we are visual beings so we can't help ourselves and but look around what does it show it shows that we lack the fruit of the holy spirit self-control it shows that we are going by the flesh and not by the spirit the flesh is what is leading us with that and the, the same way with our beautiful sisters and wives and friends when we go for shopping I'm told that shopping, shopping and ladies are in the same WhatsApp group. <laughs> and we go to shopping and you see this dress, this handbag, which when you, when you look at it, it was like it was designed specifically for you. And you find that it's like calling you, come get me, come get me. And you find that you spend so much in shopping, but what is it? What's the motive behind you purchasing those items? Is it that you need them? Or are you satisfying the last of your eyes? And as I said, these are all tests which as believers in our journey, we go through each and every day. We go through every day. But the question is, as we take this journey and we have these tests, We encounter these challenges. The question is, where are our eyes focusing on? Where are our eyes focusing on? Knowing that our eyes are the lamp to our bodies. Where are our eyes focusing on? Are we focusing when we are going through the challenge? Are we focusing on the challenge are we focusing on the storm that is on our way? Or are we focusing our eyes on God? 
because I believe our perspective as believers when you go through trial, it's a key determinant on how we are going to go through it. Where we focus when we are going through a storm, it's a key determinant on the end result. Because one thing, when you focus in the storm, this is what happens. When you focus on the storm, we risk squandering the time we have been given, lamenting about the challenges and difficulties of our current situations. When you focus on the storm, what is going through? When you focus on the storm, we feel sorry for ourselves and we fail to focus on the lessons we are learning on that storm. As believers, I believe that it's not whatever we go through, it's not by chance, it's not by circumstances. There's something that God is trying to teach us in what we are going through. And the question is, where are our eyes focused on? Are we focusing on the problem? Are we focusing our eyes on the problem solver? The one who is able to steal the storms and give us victory. And that's where we are. And on the other hand, when you decide to focus on him, on our father, I usually like to call him the, the Lion of Judah. That's the Lion of Judah. I was once a reggae fan. Yeah, so you can... <laughs> yeah. So when we encounter some and we decide to set our eyes and focus on the Lion of Judah, the great I am, we see our storms as a training ground. We see what we are going through as God preparing us for something big and something greater. We see that the storms we are going through is God equipping us for the blessings that lie ahead of us. And this is interesting because if you look last week at the story of Jesus, he went through the trials before his ministry started. David went through the trials before him ascending to being the king. And it said he was once the greatest king of, of Israel. And I believe these other kings could not match with David because David had a training season between that. If you look at the, all other kings of Israel, no one went through the training Joseph went, uh, David went. And that's what the training does. God equips you for what lies ahead. And the question as believers is, because it's inevitable that we, as we do this journey, we'll encounter challenges. The question is, when you encounter the challenge, where are our eyes focused on? Where are our eyes focused on? Do we look at the storm, or do we look at the one who is able to steal the storm? And I believe that's, that is the game changer in our journey as believers. Where you focus your eyes is the game changer in that. And I would say, 
if Jesus and David, when they were going through the trials, they decided to go with their, their eyes and look at the struggles they are going through, look at the trials and complain and grumble to God. Hey, Jesus and the hey, Buddha, Buddha, <laughs> easy trials. What would have happened had it take, them taken that route? If they had taken that route, then all that they were able to accomplish post the trial would not happen. We wouldn't have been restored by, the, by Jesus' uh, work, Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry wouldn't have had an impact to the world if they decided to go the bodily way and look at the trials. But they decided to focus on the Lord because they know this is the Lord who doesn't, who doesn't lie. He is the great I am. He is the faithful God. What he says, he does. What he promises, he fulfills. And they decided, we won't focus on what is happening around me. I won't focus on the trials that are coming on my side. What I'll do, I'll focus on the Father, the Lord. And I believe that's the way as believers we need to. Things might be tough, but will you focus on the storm? Or will you focus on the one who is able to steal the storm? And that's why you were asking last week, do you know the Father? Do you know this Jesus that when trials come, you can say, Lord, I don't understand what you, I'm going through, but I know you have good plans for me, plans to give me a hope and a future. Or do we cower when the trials come and say, I don't understand, let me do things my own way. And that's the journey of a believer. Where are your eyes focusing on? Are, you, are your eyes focusing on the light? Yeah? Are your eyes providing light to your body? Or are your eyes bringing darkness to your body? Are we grumbling about what we are going through? Or are we looking at, Lord, what are you training me? What are you teaching me during this season? And this is the question I would like to ask you. At any, at whatever situation you are in right now, how are you perceiving what you are going through? Are you looking at it as a challenge to destroy you? Or... Are you looking at it as a training ground for God equipping you for what lies ahead? Because I believe in each and every trial, there's a triumph at the end. He says, seasons don't last. The whole day, sun, the sun will come out. So as we go through the rainy seasons, where is our focus? Where are we looking at? And in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. It's a journey, and a journey is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Where are you focusing your eyes on? Where are you focusing your eyes? Are you focusing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith? Or have you decided to focus on what is happening around you? And we see that in the Bible, what happens when we take our eyes of Jesus? When we encounter these storms and we decide to take our eyes off Jesus, when we decide to let us go with the body and not with the spirit, what happens? And this we see it in Matthew 14, verse 28 to 30. And this is the story of Peter. I know we all know about it. He saw Jesus walking on, on water coming to them. And he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I think Peter Nilem Seoksema, Lord, if you can do it, and the Lord said, come. And he says, then Peter got down on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, so when he was walking to Jesus, he focused on Jesus, he walked on water. But he decides to focus on the wind. He was afraid and began, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And this is usually what happens when you take our eyes off Jesus during the storm. When we start seeing our troubles, this is what happens. We start sinking. We start sinking. And we find that that's where we think in mental illnesses, depression, because things are not making sense in our own eyes. But when you focus your eyes on the Lord, He's able to do it for you. And as we said, in this journey, we'll all face trials. Those storms will come our way. We'll face the mountains. The question is, where will you focus your eyes on? Will you focus on this Jesus who we know he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end? Will we focus on this Jesus who nothing is impossible in his sight? Or will we do it on our own strength? And as I end, I just want to summarize this believer's journey in four items, as we've learned. When you take the believer's journey, do you know the God you serve? Do we know the God we serve? Nasilia Juju, you know and you take him at his word. You know and say, Lord, Mimi Nawewe. I don't understand, but I know 
you are a faithful God. I'm taking you at our word. Two, as you take the believers down, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? As you say, those who believed, if you say you are a believer, if you believed, he gave them the right to be children of God. Do we know who we are? So that when temptation comes, we know where we stand and we refer back and say, I serve a big father who never lets me down. And the third thing, are you in control or is your body in control? Because if you are in this journey of believer, you need to be in control. You can't let our emotions, our moods, our thoughts run us. It's really running. We training our body to follow the way. So in the journey of believers, number three, you are to be in control and not your, your feelings. And lastly, as you take this journey of believers, your eyes need to be fixed on the Lord. Your eyes need to be fixed on the Lord. Because it's only through Him that we'll be able to complete this journey. Join us every Sunday from 11 a.m. at Trubani House off Airport North Road. Have a blessed week.